You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello. Wonderful to be back with you. I have a wonderful trio of films to tell you about today. You're really going to dig these movies, I promise. A superb radio play for you all and some gorgeous music. I do hope you're keeping well. I do hope you're keeping safe. It's a crazy time out there for sure, but do remember that there are things to look forward to. We have all those classic horror movies to rewatch for Halloween. Thanksgiving is coming, so you all get great food. Christmas is almost upon us. All those amazing Hallmark and Netflix Christmas movies to spend December on. And you know what? I'm in no way comparing myself or my shows to Christmas, but I will be doing my best to brighten up your days when I can. Tell you about some amazing old movies that will warm your heart when you need it. And don't forget that you can have an entire weekend of escapism with the Attaboy Clarence Film Festival in a week's time. Saturday the 24th and Sunday the 25th of October, all day long each day. Book off the weekend, grab yourself some snacks and drinks and settle in with us for a weekend-long trip through some incredible films. If you want to see the full lineup and the times for each screening, then go along to attaboyclarence.com and click on Film Festival on the sidebar there. Are you coming along, Suki? Yes, I am coming. You know I am looking forward to it, I am. What's the matter? Nothing's the matter. What's the matter with you? You got to know respect. What do you think you do? Suki. Why are you looking so sad? It's a not so bad. Suki. It's a nicer place. Oh, shut up your face. Finished? I have, yes. What were you wearing? It's a face mask. Why... Are you wearing a face mask? Because I don't want to get the Fido-19 virus, I don't. Well, that's very admirable, Suki, and very sensible. But I don't think you're in any danger. Don't worry, you can take it off. But I am in danger, I am. Uh, no, you're really not. I don't think dogs can get it. But then why did you put me in quarantine? When? Yesterday. You isolated me behind the door. I didn't isolate you behind the door, Suki. I just wanted you out of the bathroom while I was using it. I don't I don't particularly... You don't what? I don't particularly like an audience. Well, that's a shame because I like to watch. Shut up. Good heavens, haven't you got any respect? I got a no respect. No, it's a not so bad. It's a nicer place. Oh, shut up, you I-I-I-I-I-I like you very much. Ay, 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 I think you're grand. Why, why, why is it that when I feel a touch, my head stops to be, to be the band? Ay, 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 I like you to hold me tight. You are too, 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 too divine. If you want to be in someone's arms tonight, just be sure the arms you're in are mine. Oh, I like your lips, and I like your eyes. You do like my hips? Two whips not ties you. We see, 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 see the moon above. Way, 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 way up in the blue. 
Si, 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 senor, I think I fall in love And when I fall, I think I fall for you Ay, 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 ay Si, 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 si Ay, 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 can si, 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 that you for me Ay, 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 ay I like you very much Ay, 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 ay I think you're grand Why, why, why is it that when I feel your touch My head set to be, to be the best Like you to hold me tight You are too, 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 too divine If you want to be in someone's eyes tonight Just be sure the arms are in our mind Oh, I like your lips And I like your eyes You do like my hips Two whips no ties See, 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 see the moon Above, way, 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 way up in the blue. See, 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 senor, I think I fall in love. And when I fall, I think I fall for you. Ay, 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 ay. See, 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 see. Ay, 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 ay. Can see, see, see. See, 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 that's you for me. Carmen Miranda. Ay, 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 I like you very much. Hope that put a bounce in your step. Straight into some movies today because I have three of the things and they're all a bit brilliant this week. I didn't expect to be so affected by The Beast of the City, but colour me surprised. If you're a fan of the Scorsese crime dramas, then this thing will tick all your boxes. I'm not kidding. Great cast too. Walter Houston, Gene Harlow, Wallace Ford, Gene Hersholt, J. Carol Nash, Mickey Rooney. Lots of recognisable faces here. Pre-code too. So strap yourselves in because this thing really does deliver. Here's a clip. Say, what's the matter? I'm sitting here peaceable going over my accounts. Yeah, figuring out how many new customers you got. Now the dopey boys are not running booze anymore. <laughs> that dopey outfit? I don't pay any attention to them cheapskates. Not unless they try to undersell you like Maxi Grosberg did. And you string them up with nickels in their mitts. If somebody chopped them fellas, I don't know anything about it, see? Now listen to me. Take it up. Go on, hurry up. Go on. Now you can't do that. Shut up. You want a massage? Come on, let's get out. Look here, Fitzpatrick. You'll have to prove these things. Listen, Shyster. Save that thing for the courtroom. He'll be needing it. The story follows hard as nails copper Jim Fitzpatrick, played by Walter Houston, who's determined to clean up the town by bringing crime boss Sam Belmonte to justice. Thing is, Belmonte has half the city's lawyers on his payroll and keeps slipping through the net. Case came in person, Chief. Of course. Our old friend habeas corpus, eh? For the release of Samuel Belmonte, Pietro Cholo. Frederick and James Whiteson, Henry Valesti and George Alba. Let's forget those rich chief. You know I can't do that. All right, Belmonte, take a walk. Then tell this flatfoot to lay off me till that time, will you? I'm getting pretty tired of being hauled down here. I'm no backdoor trying, but I'm a busy man. That's the worst deal this department ever got. Just a minute. The papers are going to pick this up pretty. Your sense of duty seems to be running away with you. Duty? It's a pleasure with him. He hates those two men. Ah, I hate Belmonte and that crowd because they're behind everything in this town that's rotten. I mean to wipe them out if it takes hot lead. Now, hold on there, Fitzpatrick. I'm running this police department. You take your orders from me on how to operate. Understand? It gets complicated from here on in. Belmonte's girl, Daisy, played by Harlow, finds herself jilted by her mafia boss, Lover, but still craving the high and mighty lifestyle he gave her. She determines to get herself back into his good graces by romancing the younger brother of Captain Fitzpatrick, Ed, played by Wallace Ford, so that she can provide Belmonte with the info that'll put him back on top. You're on the rocket now, aren't you? Not that it hurts anybody. I suppose that's what you call it. 
Then what about that load of cash you're playing nursemaid to tomorrow? You mean that... Oh, that would fix everything up, wouldn't it, kid? Now, listen. That's just one thing I can't do. Even if it looked as though you had nothing to do with it? Oh, gee, please listen to me, darling. I'm not going to tell you anymore. I honestly think that this is one of the finest crime thrillers from this period, and I'm desperate for you to check it out for yourselves. All I'm going to say is that The Beast of the City will not just surprise you, but move you in all kinds of ways. Rare to see Harlow in so brazenly evil a role as this. There's a scene towards the end where she's basically humiliating her boyfriend in front of a party filled with gangster types, and it's almost biblical in its paganism. They're mocking an idol and cavorting in front of it, and it kind of blew my mind a little bit. It reminded me of that scene in The Ten Commandments where Moses comes down from the mountain and finds that everyone's gone a bit loopy. You watch this movie and you don't really notice the motivations building away in the background, but the whole story culminates in this ultra-violent tragedy that's not just thrilling, but actually poignant too. The film begins with a specially crafted opening crawl that's signed by Herbert Hoover. Now, the only time I've seen something similar to this is at the beginning of The Public Enemy, in which Warners tell you that the story you're about to see is indicative of the decay in society. So let it entertain you by all means, but don't forget to take the lessons away with you. For my money, and I realise how bold this statement is, The Beast of the City does a far better job of leaving you with that sick feeling, that determination to do better than The Public Enemy does. As I say, this is a film that's clearly influenced the crime movies of Martin Scorsese. It's brutal, way more brutal than you might think. It has that Greek tragedy vibe to it that made films like Scarface stand out, and I'm shocked that this movie isn't more widely known. I won't say any more except to say that you owe it to yourself to see 1932's The Beast of the City. This really is a hidden gem. You will be appalled by it, you will be shocked by it, but you will never forget it. It's brilliant. On to Whipsaw from 1935. I feared this would be some kind of lumberjack melodrama, all plaid shirts and tree felling, but I was pleasantly surprised to find that instead it was a twisty little crime thriller love story thing with Myrna Loy and Spencer Tracy in the lead with William Harrigan and Harvey Stevens down the cast list, and here's a clip. I hope you realise, Mr. Wadsworth, that you are now the possessor of the four most beautiful and perfectly matched pearls in the world. And I hope you realize, Mr. Bonetta, that you're now the possessor of a check for 500,000 good American dollars. <laughs> Who are these men? Inasmuch as you're covered by our insurance until you reach the United States, the company insists that you be guarded by this detail of our best men until you step off the Aquitania at New York. Oh, I see. But three of them. You gentlemen play bridge? Yes, yes sir. sir. That'll help a lot. Thanks for getting a game together. Lloyd plays Vivian, a small part of a criminal gang headed by Ed Dexter, played by Harvey Stevens, who are out to snatch a bunch of priceless pearls from a rich traveling gentleman. The pearls are indeed stolen, but who's got them? It's up to government agent Ross McBride, played by Spencer Tracy, to find out. And the only way to do that is to pretend to be a crook himself so that Vivian will trust him. I was going to double back to that cocktail joint, but the law followed me right to my hotel. I thought maybe you didn't hear him spill where I was living. He gave your address to the whole world. We'll find your money on that table. Oh, well, I certainly want to thank you again, sister. Two thousand bucks is a lot of dough in any language. You could have run out of me very easily. Maybe I thought of doing that. Why didn't you? You're half as tough as that cop painted you. Trying to jip you would be dangerous business. <laughs> Never believe a policeman, beautiful. He 
You don't mind if I sit down, yeah? I said drop in, not move in. So the name is Palmer, huh? Meet with your approval? Sure. I'm nuts about it. It's too bad I have to blow town, Palmer. I could figure out some swell ideas for you and me. The story takes an immeasurable number of turns from there on in as Ross attempts to keep his true identity from Vivian while she tries to hide the fact that she knows damn well that he's a cop and that he's out to get her. I said I'm traveling with a detective. Well, don't get excited. He doesn't dream, I know. I'm supposed to think he's a tough guy with a record. They staged an act for me in the Mirador yesterday. It was great, but they made one mistake. I can't explain now, but the idea was to have me fall in with the law and lead him to you. But why did you go for it? What's the idea? It was the one way to get rid of Arnold and his crowd. The cop knows I won't move in the right direction while they're following me. So naturally, he'll have the gang picked up. Once they're out of the way, I'll give my boyfriend the slip. This is another film that felt surprisingly modern to me, and all credits to director Sam Wood for a snappy little affair. This reminded me a lot of the George Clooney, Jennifer Lopez film, Out of Sight. That snappy dialogue, the will-they-won't-they romance, the cop and the robber forced together, the fact that we know that they know about each other, but they won't let on that they know that they know. I think I got that right. You dress all this plot in MGM's best and most glamorous surroundings, cast Tracy and Loy in the lead, and you have a truly unusual, handsomely staged, and very appealing romantic thriller that could well have held its own in the era of the Rat Pack. Myrna Loy, in particular, has never been as well photographed in black and white as she is here. This film really does show off not just her physical beauty, but also her natural appeal. If you've ever seen Myrna Loy without makeup, hair all mussed up, you'll know just how much it amplifies and multiplies her beauty. There are several instances in this movie that will make your jaw drop. She is funny, warm, witty, and drop-dead gorgeous. Spencer Tracy, too. It's rare for him to be as appealing as he is here. I like Spencer Tracy a lot. I root for him often, but he's never an actor that I've really adored. I don't quite know why. However, the character he plays in this movie is genuinely the kind I root for. I did cheer for him often. I love a smart movie in which the central leads are con artists who have the measure of each other. It's less cat and mouse, more cat and cat. Whipsaw is basically that, a movie about a cat versus a cat that could have fallen very flat in the wrong hands. Thankfully, this is in the right hands. It also has a surprising amount of heart. Go and check out 1935's Whipsaw. It is a true pleasure. You will adore it. Well, they don't come much starrier than our next movie today. Cary Grant, Gene Arthur, Ronald Coleman, Glenda Farrell, all here for a strikingly timely tale of an aspiring Supreme Court judge caught up in scandalous behavior. This is 1942's The Talk of the Town, directed by George Stevens. Here's a clip. Dilg, what are you doing here? You broke out of jail. In passing, it was necessary to hit me on the skull. You fool, the whole police force must be looking for you. The whole country. I would like to stay here. You can't. I'm, I'm fixing this house up for rent. It'll be occupied tomorrow. Why did you escape? Oh. oh. What's the matter? My ankle. Oh, my gosh. How far do you expect to get with that? Where are you going? I would appreciate any suggestions, Miss Shelley. Why didn't you think of that in the first place? Miss Shelley, do you believe I could burn down a factory? You're crying. 
Grant plays Leopold Dilg, a mill worker and part-time political activist who's accused of burning down a mill and causing the death of a foreman in the process. During his trial, which definitely seems to be heading south for old Leopold, he manages to escape, causing the town to light their burning torches and hunt around so that they can lynch him. Who lives here? Professor Michael Lightcap. You take the house, I'll take the grounds. Now, just a minute. Where do you think you're going to take the grounds? Have you got a search warrant? Dilg escaped, if you don't know it. No. We're searching every house on this side of the road. Have you a warrant? Now, look, lady. Look, we've been here all night. There's nobody here but us. Professor Lightcap came here for a quiet summer. He wants to write a book. Listen, lady, the sergeant... No warrant out. That's from the Constitution, isn't it, Sam? Well, not exactly in those words. We guarantee nobody's here but us. Dilg finds refuge in the house of schoolteacher Nora Shelley, played by Jean Arthur, the girl he's had a crush on all his life. The problem is that Nora is just about to rent out her house to Michael Lightcap, played by Ronald Coleman, a respected law professor who's about to be made the newest Supreme Court judge. I came here to say that the president would be pleased to appoint you to the bench of the Supreme Court in September. Well, would you be willing to accept? I'd be willing to accept. Wonderful. Perfect. Congratulations. In six weeks, your name will be submitted to the Senate. Yes. The Senate will investigate, uh, naturally, but uh, I don't think we have to fear that. But I'd be careful. I'd keep the name out of the papers in any connection, if I were you. Deciding that the only way that she can shield Dilg in the house without alerting Lightcap to his identity, Nora offers to be Lightcap's live-in housekeeper, with Dilg masquerading as a gardener. But how long can they keep the truth hidden? Well, what have we here? An intelligent man, but cold. No blood in his thinking. So we must start to thaw him out. Oh, we thaw him. Can't let a man like that take a seat on the highest cart in our land. Bad for the country. Oh, I see. All of a sudden, what he's concerned about is our country. Our country first, yes. Then my neck, next. Leopold, that's all very beautiful and commendable, but this thawing out process, we haven't got much, you oh, know. Oh, plenty of time. I like to break out in a cold sweat every time the doorbell rings. How do you propose we thaw him, Leopold? With a blowtorch? Well, we have to give that some thought. We have a good start. The prettiest woman in Lochester. It's a wild little setup, and I have to admit that the first time I saw this movie, I wasn't all that taken with it. I watched it again recently along with the other films of Cary Grant, and I was struck by how wrong I'd been. It's utterly delightful, very clever, and while it isn't that funny, per se, and Cary Grant is seriously playing against type here, it is nice to see him so effortlessly switch gears. The main thesis of the film is quite timely too, not only for all the Supreme Court judge parts, but also because of the way society's going these days. We're seeing so many people taking the law into their own hands, defining for themselves the way in which the law is interpreted. Here you have an aloof, impenetrable, law-abiding devotee of order, played by Coleman, who is inadvertently shielding a supposed murderer. On the other side of that, you have a firebrand political activist, who finds his viewpoint of authority challenged by the kindness and decency in Lightcap. Over the course of the movie, we see these two men become warmly attached to each other in friendship and find these small islands of common ground, learning from each other, and most importantly, engaging in intelligent 
conversation. We see beliefs and doctrines become blurred, and it makes you wonder if we'll ever be this sensible again. Did you actually hear what that fool Grunstad said? Yes, wasn't it remarkable? Joseph, what do you think? Judge Grunstadt was sitting in the box right next to us at the game today. No. Hmm. He's a very charming man. He's an idiot. Writing an opinion of a case before hearing all the evidence. Ah, preposterous fake. That's serious. Your rules don't allow that. Naturally not. Then what do you do about it? I? You or anybody? What is... Well, I can't intrude on the, on the business of the Superior Court of a County. So you just turn your face. Uh, Joseph, you don't understand. I understand this much. You laugh at my kind of law and wink at the other. What kind do you practice? I refuse to be dragged into any further discussion of the philosophy of law. Well, then, that's not. Uh, Joseph, I'm sorry. It isn't that I have no respect for your intelligence, which I may say I find extremely lively. But you're taking a vacation from law, though. Exactly. But I was a little sharp, I'm afraid. Don't mention it. Now, let's see. My king's in check. As a matter of fact, Joseph, I may add that I'm very grateful for your presence in the house. And you're a big treat to me, Professor. Thank you, Joseph. Strange, really, for a romantic comedy drama to have this much heft, but it really does have something to say about the importance of conversation and common sense in society. I think that's why I didn't click with it all those years ago, because I went in expecting a romantic piece of fluff, and I got a lesson in decency and pragmatism at a time when I didn't recognize the need for one. Now, however, I do see the need. I see it most poignantly. I'm fairly certain that you will have already seen the talk of the town at some point, but if it's been a while, or if you haven't seen it at all, then I urge you to give it another whirl. It might just mean more to you now than it ever did before. In fact, yes, I have a lovely Lux Radio Theatre version of the story complete with original stars Cary Grant, Gene Arthur, and Ronald Coleman. A real treat for you this time, then. So I'll leave you in the company of that hallowed trio, and I will see you afterwards. The Lux Radio Theatre brings you Cary Grant, Gene Arthur, and Ronald Coleman in The Talk of the Town. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Good things come in small packages, but better things often come in big ones. And three stars like Cary Grant, Gene Arthur, and Ronald Coleman make a colossal bundle of entertainment. And that's what we've got tonight in a play called The Talk of the Town. It was over at Columbia Pictures that they had the idea of co-starring these fine players and the right story to do it with. And with the same formula, we can't go wrong in the Lux Radio Theater. The story is unique, as you might expect, with an interplay of comedy, drama, and romance that doesn't leave room for a dull moment. Cary Grant, unjustly accused of crime, Gene Arthur, his only defender, and Ronald Coleman, knowing justice in books, but not in people, make a triangle that should be the talk of any town. Suppose a Broadway producer were to put the names of Ronald Coleman, Gene Arthur, and Cary Grant in front of his theater as Lux Flakes makes it possible for us to do all over the nation tonight. I'll make a quick guess that he'd discover his theater was sold out months in advance at 6.60 or so a ticket. The line at our box office runs from Greenland's icy mountains to Hollywood and Vine, but the tickets don't cost a cent, and every seat is the best seat in the house. 
The only box office return is your loyal support of our product, Lux Flakes. And once you've tried it, you'll make it a habit for its own sake. Now it's curtain time for the talk of the town and the first act. Starring Jean Arthur as Nora Shelley, Cary Grant as Leopold Dilg, and Ronald Coleman as Michael Lightcap. Lowchester Wool and Mill burns to ground. Mysterious blaze levels factory. Today, Andrew Holmes, owner of the Lowchester Woolen Mill, accused Leopold Dilg of setting the fire in which a foreman perished. Dilg, a factory worker, is being held by police. Dilg accused. Dilg held for trial. Maximum penalty ask for Leopold Dilg. Dilg escapes jail. Dilg escapes. Dilg escapes. My name is Leopold Dilg. I worked at that mill in Lowchester, Mass. But I never set that fire... All they had against me was that I once said the place ought to be burned. Well, it should have been. It was a rat trap. Anyway, the evidence seemed to be enough for the jury. <laughs> I got one look at their faces when the judge was charging them, and I knew I was a dead duck. So that night, I escaped from the jail. I dropped from the second-story window, almost breaking my leg, and started hobbling away across the fields. They weren't long getting after me. I could hear them yelling in the woods right on my tail. It was raining. I guess that slowed them up. But I couldn't go much further. And then I came to Sweetbrook. That's Miss Shelley's cottage on the edge of town. I managed to get to the back door. Who's there? Who is it? Miss Shelley. I've got a baseball bat here. One move and I'll brain you. Miss Shelley, I'd appreciate the keys to your car. Leopold Dilg, you get out of here. I'm sorry, Miss Shelley. But it's very important. I'm warning you. All I want, all I... I... Oh. oh. Oh, you're hurt. Oh, Dilg. Just tired. Come on. Get up. Here, let me help you. What are you doing here anyway? I broke out of jail. Oh, you fool. The whole police force must be looking for you. The whole country. I'd like to stay here, Miss Shelley. You can't. I, I'm fixing this house up for rent. It'll be occupied tomorrow. Oh. Oh. My ankle. Oh, oh, my gosh. How far do you expect to get with that? And where, where are you going? I would appreciate any suggestions, Miss Shelley. Why didn't you think of that in the first place? Miss Shelley, do you believe I could burn down a factory? Kill a man or... You're crying. One day you love the whole world. And all of a sudden everything you count on... Oh, for heaven's sakes, there's someone at the door. Get upstairs quick. Go in the attic and keep quiet. Thanks, Miss Shelley. Now, don't even breathe, do you hear? And close the door behind you. Oh, my gosh. Just a minute. Oh, my gosh. Good evening. Yes? I am Michael Lightcap. Oh. Oh. Oh, Professor Lightcap. Why, you weren't supposed to arrive until tomorrow. Your secretary... Uh, my that... secretary is getting married. Nothing deranges a woman's mind more than marriage. You must be the person with whom I've corresponded. Yes, Nora Shelley. An excellent name. Yes, I... Uh, uh, it's... Uh, Raining, isn't it? Uh, definitely. We're, we're having an early summer. Yes, but uh, could we continue the conversation inside? Oh. It's rather damp out here. Oh, nothing is ready. I thought that tomorrow about noon you'd... Really, I suggest a hotel. I plan to spend the night here, so I'll spend the night here. I'll get my bags. I had a good look at Lightcap from the top of the stairs. <laughs> Very dignified gentleman. It was the beard that did it, I guess. A black Van Dyke. <laughs> When he went out for his grips, Miss Shelley came flying up the stairs. Get back up in the attic. Go on. 
Who's the guy with the beard? The new tenant. He's the number one legal genius in the state. He's dean of Commonwealth Law School. He eats with the governor. Mm. He writes to the president. Yeah, a very cold character, Mr. Lightcap. He's back. Now remember, keep quiet up here, and later, out you go. I wonder where. Miss Shelley, open the door. Oh, hello. Why did you lock the door? Why, did I? Why isn't that queer? Miss Shelley, there seems to be a strange atmosphere hanging over this house. Oh, as soon as I get the curtains up, it'll be all right. Any improvement will be welcomed. You're a very sarcastic man, aren't you? Miss Shelley, for the past nine months, I've been teaching 400 weary young men the rudiments of law. I've had to drive all the way down here myself because my man went to see his ailing mother in West Virginia. I was looking forward to a cheerful, brightly lit house and a warm bed. And I find myself in this... this shambles. Well, well, why didn't you tell your blithering secretary to get things right? If you'd come tomorrow like you were supposed to, this house would have been efficiently whipped together and would have been cheerful and bright. Are you through? Yes. There's a certain justice in what you say. However, the violence with which you say it... Well, I'm sorry, but I... I accept your apology. Now, please accept mine. And now may I ask, is there a bedroom in the house fit to be slept in? The master bedroom happens to be quite fit. Thank you. Good night, Miss Shelley. You may leave now. Dilk. Hiya. I thought you went home. How could I with you up here? You can leave now. He's asleep. <laughs> You used to live in this house, you and your mother, didn't you? Yes, we live in town now and rent this place. Come on, get up. Uh, my ankle's so swollen now, I couldn't walk five yards with it. Oh, what are you going to do? You can't stay here. You're still the prettiest girl in Lochester. Now, look. This escape was insane. You haven't been convicted yet. Now they'll think you're as guilty as sin. It's possible I am, don't you think? Maybe. Maybe not. Leopold, as far as I know, you're capable of anything. You were the wildest kid that ever went to a Lowchester school. Uh, you wore pigtails then. I was in love with you. Always collecting a bad reputation. <laughs> Even after you grew up, speeches on street corners, petitions, any kind of a squawk, and Leopold Dilg's right in the middle of it. Yeah, you know, you're even prettier now. Uh, look, what about Yates? Does he know what you've done? Yates? Yates, Sam Yates, your lawyer. Don't Shh, you know your quiet. own lawyer? <laughs> the state made me a present of a lawyer. Well, if anybody can help you, it's Sam Yates. I'll call him. And that's the end of the line, as far as I'm concerned. Thank you, Miss Shelley. And see that you keep quiet up here. Yes, Miss Shelley. The next morning, Nora was still there, floating around the house. Her mother had been over to see why she wasn't home. The moving men had been in, and a reporter from the Sentinel to interview Lightcap. Huh. I felt like I was hiding in the middle of a parade. Then Sam Yates showed up. Uh, hello, Nora. Oh, Sam. I got your message. They said you Why, wanted... Sam Yates. Michael, well, I'll be doggone. <laughs> well, how are you, Sam? Nora, how'd you know that Michael Lightcap was the one man in the world I wanted to see? Well, I didn't. I didn't know you knew him. Went to school with him, that's all. How are you, Michael? Uh, what are you doing up here? Came up to write a new book. I can... Sam, is that a black eye? Uh, oh, uh, yes, I guess it is. You been fighting, Sam? Why, I fight on the average of three times a day. Yes, in, in school, you had a tendency towards riot. I can't stand the way this town is going after a fellow named Leopold Dilk. He's the only honest man I've come across here in 20 years. Naturally, they want to hang him. Sam? He's been shouting for years that Andrew Holmes, the mill owner, is crooked as a dog's hind leg. 
So what happens? Dilg predicts the mills will burn down. They do. One man is burned to death. Here's Holmes's chance. It was Dilg, he says. Go get him. He starts slicing this burg into a frenzy. Sam, what did you expect me to do? Well, I figured if you'd demand a fair trial for him... You see, Judge Gronstadt, who's trying the case, is nothing but a tool of Holmes and out to get Dilg. He said as much. And I say that... Uh, uh, you're not buying the idea. Sam, my business is with the principles of law. I can't allow myself to get mixed up in these little local squabbles. Little squabbles, eh? Well, let me tell you, Michael, Now, what's this... all that? Yes, what is all that? Who is it? Open up. Who lives here? Professor Michael Lightcap. I'll take the house, Joe. You take the grounds. Now, just a minute. Where do you think you're going to take the grounds? Have you got a search warrant? Dilg, escape. We're searching every house on this side of the road. Have you a warrant? Now, look, lady, No I have... warrant out. That's from the Constitution, isn't it, Sam? Well, not exactly in those words. We guarantee nobody's here but us. And that's too many. Now, will you please leave, all of you? You're wasting my entire morning. Go on now. Go on. <laughs> They didn't search the house. When things quieted down, Sam Yates left, and Nora went out to speak to him in the car. Sam, listen. Do you know who's up in that attic right now? Leopold Dilk. Who? Dilk. In the attic? Yes. Now? Yes, now. He stumbled in here last night with a bad ankle. <laughs> What's funny? <laughs> Can't get involved in little local affairs, says Lightcap. And there's a little local affair sitting right in his own house. You've got to get him out of here. Why? Why? Where could he be as safe as in the home of the dean of a law school? Are you kidding? Nora, Dilg's life won't be worth a dime if I turn him back to that jury now. Lightcap can help us. But it'll take time. That's nothing to me, one way or another. He can't stay up there. Why not? Are you insane? Who'd take care of him? Why, you. Me? Listen, I can't hang around here even if I wanted to. Lightcap's ordered me out 50 times since last night. Oh, you're doing all right so far. Sam. But so long, Nora. But Sam. I'll keep in touch with you. Oh, Sam. Smart girl, that Miss Shelley. Hmm. You know what she did so she could stick around? She got herself hired by Lightcap as a combination secretary and cook until his man could get up here. <laughs> yes, yeah, smart girl. That afternoon, they went out in the garden to work on the new book. And meanwhile, I was up in the attic, slowly starving to death. A man can stand just so much. When I sneaked down to the kitchen to get some food, I could hear Lightcap dictating. Uh, the beginning is always a little difficult. Yes, sir. Uh, let's see. Uh, jot down this title. The relation of literature to legislation in the 18th century in England. Yes, sir. The effect upon, of, of literature <clears throat> upon le legislation is a... Bless you. Thank you. Is, uh, is a study that has long claimed the interests of social scientists. The law That was really some high-class stuff he was dictating. I stood man. there listening for a while. And then he made a statement that sounded a little silly to me about the law being at all times reasonable. <laughs> the law must be built firmly on principles which are above small emotions, greed, and the loose thinking of everyday life. Impossible. Oh. What is the law? It's a gun pointed at somebody's head. All depends upon which end of the gun you stand, whether you think the law is just or not. Uh, who is this man? Oh, uh, uh, he, uh, he, he's the gardener, hmm. Joseph. Uh, Joseph, this is Professor Lightcap, the new tenant. Pleased to know you. Still, you know, your point of view about the law is very interesting. Thank you. Yep, yep. It represents the ideal condition. 
I don't approve of it, but I like people who think in terms of ideal conditions. <laughs> They're the dreamers, poets, tragic figures in the world, but interesting. Um, how are the zinnias getting along, Joseph? Dying. You see, Professor... Uh, Joseph, <laughs> uh, if, you, if you don't mind, I, I must get on with my dictation. And you might see if you can save the zinnias from dying. Bless you. Uh, thank you. Uh, Miss Shelley. Mr. Lightcap. You're catching cold. Uh, out in the rain last night, Professor? Yes, I was. Professor, about that idea. Uh, Miss now, Shelley, uh, I see you're about to have some more company. I'll, I'll be in the study. Yes, sir. Bill, get out of here. What are you trying to do? Well, when I hear a man talk nonsense, I always get an impulse. You get upstairs. With this ankle, it's too late. Then hide somewhere, quick. We had company, all right. Only it wasn't for Nora. I knew the fellow who got out of that car. I'd seen his picture. A fellow by the name of Senator Boyd. Well, sit down, Senator. Sit down. Thanks. Well, Professor, I tracked you up here because the news I have for you couldn't be entrusted to the mails or the telegraph wire. Yes, Senator Boyd? Light cap. The president would be pleased to appoint you to the bench of the Supreme Court in September. The, the Supreme Court? Me? That's it. I can't. I don't know what... It's... It's a great honor, Senator. A great honor. Well, would you be willing to accept? I... I'd be willing to accept. Wonderful. The Senate will investigate, naturally. I don't think we have to fear that, but I'd keep my name out of the papers in any connection if I were you. Well, I've been keeping my name out of the papers for nearly 20 years. It shouldn't be difficult to continue. The Supreme Court? <laughs> That's something. When the senator left, the professor walked around the house in a kind of a happy daze. <laughs> you could tell what it meant to him. And then Nora got him off to bed with a hot water bottle. He had a bad cold. You gotta be careful with a guy like that. Yeah. That night, Sam Yates came to talk things over. Supreme Court. Well, what do you know? Hey, this stuff he reads is remarkable dead. <laughs> got any more chicken, Nora? Are you eating again? Oh, that prison food was terrible. Nora, Supreme Court appointment or no appointment? We're dragging Lightcap into this. Yeah, we certainly must. Oh, we must, must we? How do you suggest we start? Well, what have we here? An intelligent man, but cold. No blood in his thinking. So we must start to thaw him out. Oh, we thaw him. Yep. We can't let a man like that take a seat on the highest court in our land. It's bad for the country. Oh, I see. All of a sudden, you're concerned about your country. Our country first, yes. Then my neck, next. Ha ha. <laughs> Leopold, that's all very beautiful and commendable. But this thawing out process, uh, we haven't got months, you know. Oh, plenty of time. I like to break out in a cold sweat every time the doorbell rings. How do you propose we thaw him, Leopold, with a blowtorch? Well, we have to give that some thought. But we have a good start, Miss Shelley. What start have we got? You, Miss Shelley. The prettiest woman in Lochester. In a moment, Mr. DeMille presents Jean Arthur, Ronald Coleman, and Cary Grant in Act Two of The Talk of the Town. Now, has this ever happened to you on a bright spring afternoon when you wanted to look your very best? While strolling through the park one day In the merry month of May 
I was taken by surprise by a run of monstrous size. A run in your stockings certainly can make you feel like a blot on the landscape. Well, if you'd luxe your stockings after every wearing, you wouldn't be having such trouble. You mean just the way you wash your stockings can make a difference in the way they wear? It certainly can. A whole series of tests has proved that luxing stockings cuts down runs by more than 50%. The United States Testing Company, Incorporated, washed rayon stockings over and over again in different ways, and then tested them on a machine that pulls and strains them the way you do when you wear them. Stockings washed with new, improved Lux flakes didn't go into runs nearly as quickly as those washed with a strong soap or rubbed with a cake soap. Luxing actually cut runs in half. My, that sounds good to me. Well, here are some new words to that song of yours. If you'll do what they say, you can give those stocking runs their runaround. I'll lux my stockings every day, every month including May. If you want to save your home, take a tip from one who knows. Luxing helps to keep those stocking runs away. Now, Mr. DeMille returns to the microphone. Act two of The Talk of the Town, starring Cary Grant as Leopold Dilg, Gene Arthur as Nora, and Ronald Coleman as Michael Lightcap. In the matter of Leopold Dilg versus the town of Lochester, Massachusetts, we call to the stand our second witness, Miss Nora Shelley. Professor Lightcap wasn't very sick, and the next morning we figured it was all right if he got up for breakfast. His cold was much better. But we hid the morning paper because Leopold's picture was right smack on the front page. When the professor came downstairs, Leopold was just finishing his breakfast. Well, well. Oh, uh, excuse me, Professor. I didn't think you'd be down this early. Oh, that's quite all right. Stay as you are. No, no, no. The gardener shouldn't be eating in here. Nonsense. Sit down, I insist. Good morning, Miss Shelley. Are you sure you feel all right, Professor? Oh, yes, quite well, thank you. Perfectly normal. Oh, that's good. Is there a morning paper? Uh, uh, paper? Oh, no, no, it hasn't come yet. Uh, uh, Miss Shelley's a wonderful cook, Professor. We're in clover. Coffee? Thank you. Well, Joseph, this is very nice and companionable. You know, there's... There's a touch of the philosopher about you that I like. Hmm. And you interest me enormously, Professor. Good, good. Hey, taste that ham. Great, isn't it? I appreciate good food. Ever had borscht, Professor? Borscht? What's that? Beet soup with sour cream. It's a Polish dish. Yeah, yeah, with an egg beaten in it. Don't let anybody give it to you without an egg in it. We must have some, Miss Shelley. Oh, yes, of course. As soon as I finish my course in American cooking... Oh, uh... you can buy it down at Mrs. Pulaski's Polish dairy near the factory. Mrs. Pulaski's, hmm? Well, by all means, let's get some. I do wish the paper had come. Uh, yeah, well, that's too bad. Still, if you read yesterday's, why read today's? It's just some more about that terrible man, Dilg. Dilg? Oh, the, uh, the fugitive from justice, huh? Uh-huh. Or a miscarriage of justice. Your opinion, too? It might be yours, too, Professor, if you knew Andrew Holmes. He makes the laws. He puts a fellow like Judge Grunstadt on the bench, and Grunstadt takes orders. Well, the voters may exercise their right of the ballot and remove him. Oh, this corruption is too thick. That's the way every decent person around here feels about it. <laughs> Feelings have no influence on the law. Facts, Miss Shelley, facts. My dear professor, people wind facts around each other like pretzels. 
Thanks alone, that's a nut without a kernel. Pass the sugar. Where's the soul? Where's the instinct? Where's the warm human side? <laughs> all right, Joseph, all right. Two schools of thought. I see your point of view, theoretically. In fact, I respect it. Mm. I wish I could respect yours, Professor. Uh, Joseph puts it a little strongly, Professor. He does respect you, of course, but as you can see, he's for the practical side. Yes, yes, and makes the law up as he goes along. Out of common sense, yes. In fact, Professor... The way I see it, you don't live in this country. You just take up room in it. I now, your... Joseph. <laughs> it's a discussion amongst friends. Of course. Delightful. All you know about the American scene is what you read in newspapers and magazines. Somebody else's impressions hashed up for lazy people. If you don't feel it yourself, you've learned nothing. <laughs> just like having somebody tell you about his operation. That'll do, Joseph, for this morning. Professor, I challenge you to make an experiment. Spend half a day with your books and the other half finding out what people do. Yeah. By the way, with these indoor habits of yours, you've got the complexion of a gravel pit. Well, really. You know, Joseph, you're no oil painting yourself. No, no, a mummy would be closer to you. They wore beards, too. <laughs> well, now, Joseph, what would you suggest? Well, there's a baseball game today. Go to it. Baseball? <laughs> baseball. <laughs> that was the first step in thawing out the professor. I took him to the game myself, and we sat right next to Judge Grunstadt. Leopold said there was no one like Grunstadt to teach the professor the facts of justice. <laughs> professor Lightcap, this is Judge Grunstadt. Lightcap? Why, of course, of course. How do you do, sir? How do you do? Well, this is a great honor. Thank you. Did you say Judge? Mm-hmm. Grunstadt. Doubt whether you've heard of me, but your work. I've read it in the Law Review every year. Hey, sit down! Oh, how I envy you, sir. You work in the quiet of your library and... How do you like that? Are you blind? That was right across the plate. The dope. But me. Me, I labor in the vineyards. You've heard of the Dild case, I take it? Yes, yes. Well, there's luck for you. First case I've had in ten years that drew any outside attention. Look at that. Look at that. Slide, you idiot! Oh, he could have made it. Uh, and right in the middle of the trial, the swine skips out like a butterfly, and I was preparing a brilliant opinion on the case. Before the trial was finished? Oh, he was as guilty as Judas, the town malcontent. You consider it ethical to judge a man before all the evidence is in? My dear fellow, he broke jail. That proves it, doesn't it? Why, even a library philosopher like you would have to admit that. Uh, yes, Miss, Miss Shelley. I, I think we've had enough baseball for today. <laughs> That evening, Leopold and Professor Lightcap played chess. But the professor's mind wasn't on the game. Yes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. You, you play very well. Where did you learn? My father? Mm-hmm. He was the kind of man who resented work. It interfered with chess and argument. Yes. Uh-huh. See? Yes, you're, you're, you're a man of many parts, Joseph. <laughs> I look forward to a very pleasant summer. Thank you, Professor. Uh... Your king is still in check. Yes, uh, let's see now. Uh, Miss Shelley, did you actually hear what that fool Grunstadt said? Yes, wasn't it remarkable? Joseph, what do you think? Judge Grunstadt was sitting in the box right next to us. No, well, I hear he's a very charming man. He's an idiot. Writing an opinion of a case before hearing all the evidence. Preposterous fake. Mm-hmm. That's serious. Your rules don't allow that. Naturally not. Well, uh, what do you do about it? Why, there's... There's nothing to do. I I can't intrude on the business of the Superior Court of the County. So you just turn your face, huh? Ah, now, Joseph, 
You don't understand. Mm-hmm. I understand this much. You laugh at my kind of law and wink at the other. What kind do you practice? I refuse to be dragged into any further discussion of the philosophy of law. All right, then let's not. Oh, Joseph, I'm, I'm sorry. It wasn't that I have no respect for your intelligence, which I may say I find extremely lively. That uh -huh, you're taking a vacation from law. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I was a little sharp, though, I'm afraid. Don't mention it. Now, let's see. My king's in check, huh? Uh, yes. As a matter of fact, Joseph, I may add that I'm very grateful for your presence in this house. Mm. And you're a big treat to me, Professor. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you. He was a wonderful man, the Professor. He was, well, in so many ways, he was like a little boy. I was very fond of him. The next day, we went for a walk through town. A couple of high school kids passed us and giggled. You know it was the beard. What, what, what did they say, Miss Shelley? Beaver. It's a game. First one to spot a beard. Beards are quite unusual in these parts. Yes, I, I suppose they are. You know, I, I don't think I've ever told anyone how I came to grow it. No? Well, I, I was one of the youngest men ever to graduate from Harvard Law School. In fact, I was teaching at Commonwealth before I was 22. Wow. And I had, <laughs> I had a frank and open face. People in trolley cars used to call me Sonny. Uh, boys, I was teaching, would slap me on the back. Women would wink at me in the street. <laughs> Is that bad? No, but, but I was busy and had no time for nonsense. And so uh, the beard became a sort of a fortress. And, well, I, I suppose I grew attached to it. Well, I think it's very pretty. <laughs> now, now, what am I to say to that? I miss Shelley. Isn't that the boshed place? Oh, oh, Pulaski's, yes. Pulaski's. We must get some for Joseph. Oh, I'm afraid we haven't time, Professor. Oh, but think of his face, the ecstasy. Come in a moment. You're going to spoil that man. What, spoil Joseph? <laughs> yes, sir. Some borscht, please. A quart. Yes, ma'am. With an egg in it. With, with an egg? Oh, it must have an egg beaten up in it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I didn't know it at the time. There was only one person in Lochester who ever ordered it that way, Leopold Dilg. But Pulaski knew it. We were to find that out later. We left Pulaski's and I steered the professor over toward the factory ruins. I knew Holmes was staging a demonstration that morning, whipping the town up into a frenzy. It was something the professor ought to see. Mr. Lightcap, it's a pleasure to see you here. Holmes is my name. I own this mill, or rather what's left of it. Well, really, I... I've never known public feeling to run so high in Lochester. As for Mr. Dilg, justice will not be cheated. No, no, I'm sure it won't. Oh, Miss Bush, come here. Professor, this is Miss Bush, a close friend of Clyde Bracken, my former, the man who was killed in the explosion. This is Professor Lightcap, Miss Bush. I'm pleased to meet you. We found her here today, searching the ashes. Yeah, I was looking for a wristwatch I gave Clyde just two weeks ago. All they found of Bracken was a tiny athletic medley he'd won in high school. Gives a girl a queer feeling. One night you got a man who weighs 211 pounds, and the next day... Wham! All you got left is a medal for shot putting. Yes, I'm, I'm sorry. But... Too bad they're not taking pictures of Dilk swinging from a telegraph pole. Who said that? I did, Yates, and what about it? Jake, I told you anybody I heard talking like that had to count on fighting me. Put him up. Sure. I won't have it, Miss Shelley. You deliberately dragged me into this. It's been your purpose since the day I arrived. Well, 
if I have, my motives are far from selfish. That has nothing to do with it. I've said again and again I cannot be involved. And if it's your purpose to see that I am... Well, I... well, Professor, this amounts to violence. And from you, making charges against Miss Shelley without evidence? Yeah, me. And perhaps I'd, I'd better resign, Professor. Uh, no. No, Miss Shelley, I... You're right, Joseph. I apologize, Miss Shelley. <laughs> there, now, you see, a happy family again. Now, the question is, are we ready for dinner? Yes, are we ready for dinner? Anytime you are, Professor. Thank you. Sergeant Mack. Hey, listen, we just had a hot tip from a guy named Pulaski. He says Dale is hiding out in the Shelley house. Yeah, get over here right away. Come on, Miss Shelley, sit down. Right here, Professor. Thank you. Uh, hey, hey, wait a minute. Who put on the soup plates? There's no soup. No soup, eh? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no soup. My dear Joseph, while strolling in town today... Huh? Uh, no, 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 that, that's, that's a bad beginning. My dear Joseph... To cement the bonds that bind our happy little family together, what could be more fitting than this? Borscht! Pulaski's! <laughs> I'd know it anywhere! <laughs> oh, be careful, you'll spill it. Well, only Pulaski's would wrap up Borscht in a newspaper. Now, 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 mm. let, let, let me unwrap it, please, Joseph. Your eagerness, your... Ah, your ah, this is the stuff I've been waiting for. Come on, Professor, shake it up. All right, here we are. Now, if you'll just get rid of this newspaper, Miss Shelley, I... What's the matter, Professor? Is something wrong? There seems to be a picture in the paper, Joseph. A man named Leopold Dill. Professor. He bears a remarkable resemblance to you, Joseph. Professor, what are you going to do? Call the police and tell them to come and pick him up. No, no, you won't do that. Wait, Professor. I'm sorry I spoiled your party. Of course, there's no use discussing the merits of my case right now. I'm afraid not, Joseph. Uh, Leopold, I have a simple duty to perform, and I must do that before anything else. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, here we have the two schools of thought, Professor. This time in action. That telephone to you means law and order. And to me, <laughs> well, I've got to stop you using that telephone. By violence, if necessary. Yes, I see. That's bad. I have a very warm feeling for you, Joseph. But I must use that telephone. Well, if you do, Professor, and I'm as fond of you as a brother, I'll be compelled to knock you down. No, no, please! I should regret that, too. I've never been fonder of a man in my life, but... Hello, operator? Give me the police station. Hello, is this the police? Sorry, I want to... Professor! No! Oh, Leopold! Nora... I'm sorry. What else could oh. I do? Oh, help me get him up. You've heard him. He's... Leopold, I couldn't listen. help it. I didn't want to hit him. Get out of here. Quick, it's the police. Get out the back way. Look, I... Go on, go on. Get out, you fool. Open up. Open up. Bring him down. The back way. Hurry. Yeah. Oh, Mr. Mike. Get around the other side, man. You take care. Yeah, this way. Where is he? Come on, where is he? Oh, help me with Professor Lightcap. He's hurt. Where's Dill? I don't know. I... Ed, try the upstairs. Nora. All right, did Leopold get away? Oh, Sam, Sam, help me. What's the matter with him? Look, Sam, is he all right? Sure, sure, he's fine. Come on, Professor, come on. Aye. He's coming around all right. Uh, up you oh, go, Professor. You. Professor Lightcap. You, you knew it was Dilg, Miss Shelley. All those lies, attentions, just for Dilg. You and Sam Yates. You planned it all, didn't you? Take it easy, Michael. You're a silly, dangerous girl. You've had me feeding and lodging a notorious fugitive from justice. 
You've endangered a lifetime's career for a stupid gesture. Our association is at an end, Nora. That's a tip-off, Professor. You had to get good and sore before you got around to calling me by my first name. Oh, Miss Shelley. Nora, when you're angry. That will be all, Miss Shelley. That will not be all, Mr. Lightcap. Dilg is innocent, and I'd rather be hated by 40 frozen legal giants like you than turn him over to those bloodthirsty idiots of Lochester. You were right to grow a beard. You were an old man all your life. You put on the proper costume just as soon as you were able. Don't ever shave it off, Mr. Twilight. Somebody might think you were alive, and that would be misrepresentation. Come on, Sam, let's get out of here. We pause now for station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. After a brief intermission, Mr. DeMille presents Ronald Coleman, Cary Grant, and Gene Arthur in the third act of The Talk of the Town. Tonight, Sally and I have a conservation quiz for you. Questions and answers on care of clothing that every conservation-minded woman needs to know. We've asked some members of our studio audience to try to answer a question apiece. But whether their answers are right or wrong, there's a big box of new improved Lux waiting for each. Here's our first contestant, Sally. Mrs. Charles Isaacs of Los Angeles. Mrs. Isaacs, if you've had washable gloves dry cleaned, should you try to wash them? Why, no. That's right. If you try to wash them after they've once been cleaned, they're apt to get stiff and be ruined. If you lux them right from the start, you're all right. Just follow the directions right there on the box of Lux Flakes that Mr. Kennedy has for you. Here you are, Mrs. Isaacs. Thanks a lot for helping us out. And I know new improved Lux will help you out, too. Help you make gloves and other washables last longer. It's the mildest, safest Lux ever made. Now, our second contestant, Sally, is Mrs. Bruce Wilkins of North Hollywood. Hello, Mrs. Wilkins. Here's your question. If the neckline of a blouse or sweater, for instance, is specially soiled, should you rub cake soap on it to get it clean? Uh, yes. No, very definitely no. Rubbing is hard on fabrics, especially on woolens. Take a few dry Lux flakes and work them in gently with your fingers, but don't rub. Thanks for coming up, Mrs. Wilkins. You'll find this box of new, improved Lux Flakes is super safe care for all your washables. I'm afraid that's all we'll have time for. We'll have to save our other questions for another night. But ladies, don't you wait another night or another day to try new, improved Lux Flakes. It's better than ever in three important ways. It's the mildest, safest Lux ever made. Its suds are richer, more cleansing than ever. And they last longer than ever. Give more of your washables this super safe care so they'll last longer than ever, too. Now, our producer, Mr. DeMille. We'll ask our stars to step out of character for a chat when the play is over. But right now, we present the third act of The Talk of the Town, starring Ronald Coleman, Gene Arthur, and Cary Grant. From the personal journal of Professor Lightcap comes the following narrative. The private diary of a modest and retiring student of the law. Since I trust no eyes but mine will ever read these words, 
I may confess that Miss Nora Shelley had made a distinct and lasting impression upon me. And when she left Sweetbrook that night, I felt very much alone. But she had shown me what I was, a frozen legal giant, she had said, with a beard. <laughs> so when my man Tilney arrived, I took the first step toward correcting that impression. Tilney found me that night in front of my mirror, razor in hand. Mr. Lightcap, sir, what you doing, sir? I am about to shave, Tilney. Oh, no, sir, you can't do that, sir. Sorry, Tilney, there's work to do. The beard is in my way. Uh, yes, I know, but for 15 years, sir. 15 years, beaver. <laughs> The work I referred to was discovering for myself whether or not justice had been hoodwinked in the case of Leopold Dilg. I went first, clean-shaven of course, to a, to a beauty parlour in Lochester. It was run by Miss Regina Bush, the sweetheart of the foreman who had died in the fire. She, uh, she manicured my nails. You got beautiful hands, Professor. Clyde had hands you could use to knock in spikes with. Who is Clyde? Who was Clyde? It'd be more accurate. I'm in mourning. It's a great hardship because I'm the type of girl who loves to get around. You visiting here for the summer? Yes. Gee, I wish he wasn't dead. At least for one night. I sure would love to go dancing tonight. Uh, Miss Bush, I, uh, I wonder if I might have the, 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 the pleasure of taking you dancing tonight. The pleasure? Well, say now. You're real cute. Listen, you blow your horn at seven tonight, right outside, Sonny. Thank you. Sonny. <laughs> what time is it, Tilney? Seven two, sir. Well, it's just at the next corner. Yes. Uh, Tilney. Yes, sir? <clears throat> if you wanted to get some information out of a woman, how would you go about it? Well, Mr. Lightcap, sir, I've lived a cloistered life like you. And on a subject of that sort, we're babes in the woods. But you, you were married once, weren't you? Oh, that was the folly of you, sir. But you wooed her and won her. How? Well, by the darndest series of lies you ever heard. I gave her a character and charm she never possessed. Well, I perjured my soul for a thousand years to come. <laughs> Well, that's very interesting, Tilney. Thank you. Should we sit down, Miss Bush? Yeah, come to think of it, I'm getting hungry. You dance divinely, Miss Bush. Your, your, your physical coordinations are remarkable. I thought I heard them all, Professor, but your line's brand new. Ah, you know, you're definitely a superior person, Miss Bush. Ah, you're cute. You know what? If I was free, I'd take you very, very seriously. Oh, but you, you are free, aren't you? Your, your gentleman friend is, he's dead, isn't he? Well, that's the general impression. Well, what do you mean? Ah, little Regina's drinking too much. Makes the tongue very, very loose. You know, you're, you're beautiful, Regina. Extraordinarily beautiful. Oh, uh, would you like to kiss me? Why, very, very well. I, I mean, certainly. Oh, on the forehead. Cultured. A cultured kiss. Gee, if I was only free. Oh, but you are free. You're only saying that to torment me. Uh, no, I'm not. Now, here, I got a letter from him. A letter? He wants me to meet him in Boston in a couple of weeks, see? A letter? 
from Clyde? Yeah, it says C. Bernard, General Delivery, Boston, but that's him, all right. C. Bernard, he isn't dead at all, uh-huh. Hey, listen, what are you... Hey, give uh, me that letter uh, back. Yeah, no, but Miss Bush, now, Regina, darling... Don't Regina, I... darling me. There's something fishy about you, mister. Help! Throw this guy out! Get him out of here! <laughs> I left the cafe as quickly as possible and drove back to Sweetbrook. Of course, I didn't realize at the time that Leopold Dilk was still hiding there in the attic. It was the most obvious place and therefore the best. Miss Shelley found him there that night. Oh, Leopold. Oh, you idiot. Hey, hey, cut it out. How did you know I was here? Oh, it suddenly came to me you couldn't go anywhere else. Your ankle. Oh, Leopold. No, no, no. Nora Shelley crying. Oh, I've been out of my mind for 24 hours. I thought you were dead. What an idea. <laughs> you know something, Nora? Our friend, the professor, shaved off his beard. He did? Yeah, I heard him talking about it. But why? Uh, well, who can tell what a man in love will do? In love with who? You. Mm -hmm. I know just how he feels. The prettiest girl in Lochester. Oh, Leopold, I've been so miserable to you. I... I never really knew you. Oh, Leopold. Uh, uh, stop saying Leopold like that tenderly. Oh, Leopold. That's <laughs> funny. You can't do it with a name like Leopold. Oh, shut up. Where did he go without his beard? He'll be all right. <laughs> he won't be all right. He's a child. Yeah, I know just how you feel. Now, don't start that soupy stuff again. You don't know how I feel about anything. Ah, uh, look, Nora. He's quite a man, you know. An important man. Be quiet. There's a car. He's back. Now get up in the attic. Okay. Go on. All right, but think it over. Think what over? Oh, go on. Ooh. I'll need the car, tell me. Yes, sir. Hello? Miss Shelley. Hello. I'm glad to see you. Miss Shelley, I have every reason to believe that Clyde Bracken is still alive. It seems that... What are you staring at? If you find my face unpleasant? No, no, no. It's uh, the beard gone. I mean, did you say Bracken? Bracken, yes, alive. Well, I guess at last you know the truth about Mr. Dill. I don't know anything until I can prove it. A stickler to the last. I bet if you knew where he was right I'd now... I'd turn him in, yes. You just took that beard off your face. Inside, you're as whiskered as the Smith brothers. <laughs> You turn me in right now, Professor. Leopold! Oh, what do you say, Professor? Leopold, get back up there. What's the matter with you? Leopold, I'm leaving immediately for Boston to find Mr. Clyde Bracken. How about dropping you off at the police station? Do you hear? Bracken's alive. Very interesting. Well, let's go, Professor. Will somebody please listen to me? Bracken's alive. Why should Dill go to jail? It's the principle. The law says that's where I should be. Thank you, Leopold. Listen, if they get him in jail, they'll make Patty DeFogre out of him. Doesn't that mean anything to you? Well, that's a bridge we can cross when we come to it. Right. Who knows who's right? Why does, why does Dilk have to make all the concessions, Professor? Isn't there one concession in your bones? Concessions? I, I, I shaved off a beard I was fond of. I danced with a blonde beauty parlor owner. I kissed her in public. Concessions. Ha. All right, all right, all right. Turn him over. Give him to the mob. Go ahead. Mob? What mob? Do you think they let him stay in jail while you're looking for Bracken? They'll drag him out by the hair, they'll... Don't be silly. Quiet. Come on, Professor. Now, now wait, wait, wait. Miss, Miss Shelley has been right in the past, and perhaps... Perhaps you'd both better come to Boston with me. Well, that's a very noble gesture, Professor, but my place tonight is in jail. I'm sorry to disagree with you. 
Come along, Leopold. Uh-uh-uh. That's taking the law in your own hands, Professor. Oh, shut up! Leopold, sometimes the letter of the law might be wrong. No, I'm afraid I can't agree with you, my dear friend. Well, I'll have to be firm, Leopold. Oh! Now, Miss Shelley, if you'll... If you'll help me to get him into the car, please. Oh, Professor! You're wonderful! You're really wonderful! Thank you, Nora. Oh, Leopold. Poor Leopold. Did he hit you? Where did he hit you? Oh, poor Leopold. We found Bracken, alias C. Bernard, in Boston. There was a brief and heated discussion. He didn't wish to return with us to Lochester, but we prevailed upon him. Uh, by force, I'm afraid. <coughs> Come on, Bracken, let's have the truth. Turning state's evidence is about the only hope you've got now. You know that, don't you? Talk, Bracken. Leopold, how about stopping the car and giving him another uh, going over? A pleasure. Okay. Uh, wait a minute. Holmes paid me to burn it. The fact he was on the rocks and his only chance to get the insurance money for that broken-down bond. That's what Leopold said for years. Well, why did you have to play dead? To get the people more excited. So when Holmes pinned it on that thorn in his side, Duke, he could put him away good, huh? Yeah. A very simple plan. It's astonishing. Better go straight to the Lochester City Hall, Miss Shelley. No, no. Drive straight home. Home? Why? Well, I'd rather take Bracken alone. What? What about the mob? The mob won't hurt anybody. Professor, you've solved this case beautifully, and I'm very grateful to you. But this country needs a man like you on the Supreme Court bench. I don't want to take the risk of your losing that. That's very thoughtful of you, Leopold, but I see things differently now. So do I. And I want to see this job through. Well, I'm sorry, my friend, now but... Now, stop uh... it! The professor's right. Friendly feelings are one thing, Leopold, but a mob's another thing. You ain't gonna turn me over to any mobs. Sit down, Bragg. I'll show you. Look out! Leopold, hold him! Sit down! Get his oh. hands off the wheel! Oh. Our work had gone for nothing. In the excitement of the accident, Bracken escaped, and the police took Leopold. He went to trial within a week. Whitecap, I've come up here to talk sense to you. Thank you, Senator. Nobody believes this Bracken story. You'll go into that court and make yourself ridiculous with it. So will you please get out of this town? Nope. No, a man's life is at stake. Senator, a friend's life. Michael, I'm warning you. I just came through that town. They're out for blood. There's a crowd in front of the court right now with ropes. Oh, no, no. Ah, uh, Miss Shelley, Nora, I know just how you feel. I didn't understand at first. You couldn't help feeling the way you do about Leopold. Now, don't you start that. Who says I feel any way about anybody? Why does everybody try to make up my mind for me? Why should my love life be kicked around from pillar to post? I hear you're in love with Regina Bush. Regina Bush? <laughs> yes, Regina Bush of the Dolores Beauty Salon. How do you like it? Regina Bush? That's where Bracken is. He's hiding there. Nora, did I see a gun somewhere around this house? A gun? I know, it's in the desk. What are you going to do? I'm going to settle this dill business if I have to shoot to kill. Michael, you can't do it. Nor can't I, listen. My great-great-great-grandfather fought off two dozen Indians for a whole week in 1756. And I'm a direct descendant. Now, you tell that to the Senate. And if it isn't good enough for the Supreme Court bench, it's just too bad. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, we know this man is guilty. Outside of this court right now, you can hear the voice of the people. Listen to it. The voice of justice. 
The state and the people of Lochester will tolerate only one verdict from this jury, and that verdict should be quick. Guilty! Keep that crowd out of here! Cash, Your Honor! Give us Dill! We want Leopold Dill! Come on, give him to us! Who did that? Who fired that gun? I did. I did. Judge Grunstadt, this gentleman with me is Mr. Clyde Bracken. Bracken? Clyde Bracken, alive. He's the man the law is looking for, not Leopold Dilg. His only crime was that he had courage and spoke his mind. And you, you people of Lochester, what are you doing in a court of law with weapons and ropes? This is your law. This is your law and your finest possession. It makes you free men in a free country. Why have you come here to destroy it? You know what's good for you. Take those weapons home and burn them. And then think. Think of this country and the law that makes it what it is. And think of a world today crying for this very law. Then maybe you'll understand why you ought to guard it. Violence against it is one mistake. Another mistake is for any man to look upon the law as just a set of principles, something he recites and then leans back and takes it for granted that justice is automatically being done. Both kinds of men are equally wrong. The law has to be engraved on our hearts and practiced every minute to the letter and spirit. It can't even exist unless we're willing to go down into the dust and blood and noise of battle every day of our lives to preserve it. For our neighbor as well as ourselves. I received my Supreme Court appointment in September. Nora Shelley was there the morning I took my seat for the first time. You, you look so wonderful, Professor Lightcap. Miss Shelley, you, you must stop staring. It's just a robe, isn't it? Where's Leopold? I tried to bring him with me, but he just disappeared. Where? Why? Well, you never can tell about Leopold. Oh, but he must come. Now, why do you look like that? I really don't know. It's just all seems so far from Sweetbrook. No, it isn't. Sweetbrook will never be far. Nora, look at me. A dream of 20 years come true. More happiness than any man deserves. But now there's something else, Nora. My friends, I want to see them as happy as I am. Nothing less will do. And Leopold, what a fine fellow he is. And I've been thinking, Nora, that if someone were to take his hand and say, Leopold, my reckless friend, here's love and companionship forever. Well, someday that man would... You see what I mean, Nora? Justice. It's time, sir. Mr. Justice. I'll go now. Will you kiss me goodbye? Goodbye. Far from Sweetbrook, never. Leopold had come after all. I saw him from my seat on the bench. He smiled at me and left. And Nora followed him. Leopold, wait! Huh? Oh, oh, oh. Uh, where are you going? Well, that's all I wanted to see. The professor. The rest is about law. Very boring. Hey, he looks fine up there, doesn't he? Yes. Well, our country's in good hands. <laughs> the woman's touch. 
Indispensable. You better go back in. But uh, where are you going? Home, don't you stir wide. Then what? Ah, you're gonna like Washington. Wonderful town. And he's a wonderful man, too. Well, Nora, see you sometime. Uh, Leopold. Uh, I'm in a hurry. You better go back in. He's probably looking around for you now. Uh, Leopold, I'm getting pretty tired of having people trying to make up my mind for me. Now, stop it. Do as I tell you. Leopold. You take a stubborn woman, they're a curse. My mother always warned me against stubborn women. Uh, Leopold. Now, stop following me or I'll call the police. Leopold. And don't say my name like that, Leopold. <clears throat> I told you, it, 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 it. Oh, come on. Come on, we missed the train. So they went back together to Lochester, to Sweetbrook. And that was the excellent The Talk of the Town with Cary Grant, Gene Arthur and Ronald Coleman. Wonderful. Do make sure you check out the film too. It is superb. Well, that is all we have time for this week. Just time to tell you, though, that if you haven't already done so, now is a great time to sign up at patreon.com slash attaboysecrets. Aside from all the many hundreds more hours of bonus content available there, you'll also get access to an entire weekend's worth of classic movie programming in the film festival this month. Saturday, 24th of October is open day. You're all invited. 25th is patron-only day with some amazing curated treats for you all. You can find a link in the show notes that'll get you to Patreon, or you can listen on to the end of this show for more details. Until next time then, folks, thank you for listening. Take superb care of yourselves and those you love. And bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and e-books. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts.